Good afternoon, Jamie. Welcome to TWIST, This Week in Sustainability. My name is Felicia Etzkorn, Professor of Chemistry at Virginia Tech, and my co-host is Jamie Ferguson. Hey there, I'm Jamie Ferguson. I am a chemistry professor at Emory and Henry College in Southwest Virginia. So today I thought we'd just do a news roundup. There's been a bunch of news articles that we've sort of been collecting and thinking we, we would get a guest, but and maybe we still will get a guest on some of these topics, especially if any of you out there are particularly interested, let us know. Our email address is twist.sustainability at gmail.com. So write to us. The first thing on my list, this was sent to me by my daughter, Virginia Moore, who's an artist. And this topic is, it's called Mass Blue. It's a new blue pigment. And apparently the shade of blue in pigments for paint has been problematic for centuries because it fades and it's hard to get a good solid blue. So, and I don't know how much organic chemistry, I don't know a lot about pigments, but this is inorganic chemistry. And I would think that the organic would be more likely to fade, whereas the inorganic might not fade. So this mass blue was discovered by our mass Subramanian at Oregon State University, that's in Corvallis. So the, the chemical formula is, it's an yttrium indium manganese oxide. So I looked up the earth abundance and indium has, or, or sorry, yttrium has 33 milligrams per kilogram in the earth's crust. That's pretty high natural abundance. And then indium is 0.25 milligrams. So that's not a lot, but it's not as rare as some of the rare earth metals or the precious metals like gold and silver. So it's indium is in between. And manganese is pretty common at 950. And of course, oxygen is the most abundant element because so much of the rock, so many of the rocks are oxides. So oxygen is 4.6 times 10 to the fifth milligrams per kilogram of the earth, Earth's crust, the most abundant element. So it's got good earth abundance and they made this by accident. They were looking for an electronic, um, I don't know what, they, you know, they were doing chemical research to make new electronics. And this student, I think his name was Andrew Smith. Mm -hmm. Andrew pulled this compound out of the oven after baking it at 200 degrees. And it was this beautiful, beautiful blue color. A two, 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So what is that Celsius? Oh, 12, oh, you're right. 1,200 Celsius, not okay. 200. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very, very high temperature. Yeah. Thanks for calling me on that. Yeah. So that they say, well, the cool thing is if it's been baked at that high of a temperature, it's not going to fade. You know, if it, it's, it's rock solid, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's really cool is they can um, fine tune the color. If you, we'll put, we'll put these links in the show notes, but the, the color, they can fine tune it by changing the indium and manganese ratio, <laughs> which is just nuts. And it's inspiring um, a new Crayola crayon called Beautiful. Bl- no, Blutiful. 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 <laughs> no kidding. They're making crayons with it. Well, I guess they're, I mean, I don't know that the pigment itself is in crayons. I mean, it's probably a rather expensive pigment if it has to be formed at 1200 degrees Celsius, but yeah, but it's inspiring a new Crayola crayon. So, you know. Yeah. So this indium to manganese ratio, if it has what X is very small, if it has a really high indium content, then it's a very light blue. And if it has a very high manganese content, it's more of a blue-black. And it gets progressively darker in between. So, and apparently the manganese is the chromophore. Manganese 3 plus. Isn't manganese like the the element that's most responsible for the brownish black color of of soil i don't know could be so they have this crystal structure and manganese i think is this blue color in the trigonal bipyramidal site so if you imagine two triangular pyramids base to base, the manganese sits in the middle of it. And that's cool. And then the indium kind of is in between those, it's sandwiched in between those trigonal bipyramids. And there's oxygens linking all the metal sites together. At the tips of all of the bipyramids are the oxygens. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And also like, yeah, that's where the indium comes into contract i don't know where the yttrium is though i think that it yeah and it it looks like what what would that be so there's one yttrium for every two either indium or manganese yttrium's the invariant indium or manganese in the middle of the bipyramid and then it's because they must replace each other if they can yeah. have this r- ratio that changes. And then it's the yttrium in yellow at the... Anyway, it's cool structure. And cool, they have a, a visible light spectrum. And it's, it really blocks out all these long wavelengths. Well, covering up the whole spectrum pretty cool and cobalt doesn't 
cobalt has a blank spot that, and cobalt blue pigments are the standard blue that artists are using. So cobalt's kind of toxic, right? Mm -hmm. And yttrium's not very toxic, at least the yttrium oxides. But when you're talking about these oxides, like, you know, manganese, it depends on the oxidation state because it can be a strong oxidant, right? Like potassium permanganate mm -hmm. is, is a strong oxidant. So, but I guess this is probably, man this is manganese three, so it's not, a, not a strong oxidant. So it's probably pretty safe. This is making me think that we really ought to get a pigment chemist on. Yeah, I would like to get this um, mass subramanian on because then when you scroll down, you look at these other colors that they're making, they've got some pretty cool oranges and greens and teal. And are these all working off of the manganese indium? I have no idea. Huh. They're just, they've expanded their research. That's all the article says. So yeah, let's, let's get him on. I'll try. We'll try. We don't know if, much about the safety of it, but it, it looks pretty good. And I did have a conversation with my daughter about what's in her oil paints because there's a lot of volatile organic compounds in oil paints. And I don't know if you've ever walked into a painting studio when a bunch of freshmen are painting, but it, it's almost overpowering. And since she had a baby, she's gotten a lot more careful about what paints she buys and she buys these safer paints. Turns out they have linseed oil and can't remember like safflower oil or something like that. So pretty benign oils. And I was like, well, how do they set up if, you know, it's non-volatile oils? Cause in order for the paint to dry, You've got to evaporate the solvent, right? Mm, either that or the solvent needs to polymerize. That's what I'm thinking. That's exactly what I came to was that you probably are seeing oxidation because linseed oil, I think it's linolenic acid. It has a high linolenic acid, which, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. So it has a lot of double bonds in it means it's very highly reactive with oxygen radicals. And so it probably cross links via the oil, the fatty acid side chains. That would be my guess too. That's pretty cool. And that probably isn't super fast, which is kind of the point of working with oils. So I also want to get an artist on. So should we move on to soy products in general? It would be nice to kind of explore that product space because there's also like soy candles, you know, are, are marketed as being healthier candles, which I believe they are, but you know, it'd be nice to yeah. pull out some toxicity data or something. I always get bees, hundred percent beeswax candles from my farmer's market. I love them. They they burn completely rather than dripping a whole lot of 
wax all over the place. Mm, nice. And they're very, they're solid. They don't melt in the summer warp. Okay, so now for something completely different, catalytic converters. So catalytic converters are a lot more complicated than I knew. I knew there was platinum in them, but there was recently an article in the Washington Post and also in the New York Times I discovered today. And turns out people are stealing. They're cutting catalytic converters off of, and why it was one particular kind of car, which doesn't make any sense at all. It's just like somebody must have told the thieves that, hey, this kind of car has a lot of rhodium in it, but all catalytic converters have certain percentage of rhodium in them. And rhodium is the least earth abundant of sort of the rhodium, platinum, palladium trio, which in the periodic table goes pretty close together. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm wondering if this is connected to the story I heard on NPR about it is how, okay. All right. So that's all connected. So, so some people might've heard recently an NPR story or some other place where you get your news about how there's a backlog of demand for cars and car manufacturers are missing the parts for their computer chips. And so is that related to Oh, to the catalytic converter? I don't, I, uh -huh. you know, you do have to have a computer to run the, to make sure the, whatever, the catalytic converter is doing its job, I think. Uh -huh. I think it's computer controlled, like the amount of oxygen and the ratio of the fuel. Mm -hmm. The fuel to oxygen ratio is probably pretty important to get a complete burn. But I don't think the theft is related, the theft of the rhodium. Okay, so it's not related to the to the to the computer boards of the cars that is kind of a back. I don't right think now. so. Okay, I don't think so. But it's an interesting. So mined metals are interesting. So there's a a platinum producer called Impala Platinum in South Africa, and they're a major platinum metals group producer. So they say that each unit of ore mined typically contains 60% platinum, 30% palladium, and 8 to 9% rhodium and trace amounts of other metals. And so what they do, I guess they separate them out and then they recombine it in these really um, pretty complex ways. So but platinum is more abundant than rhodium. And it turns out that they have like a surplus of platinum on the market right now. So they're not mining any. And plus they had a problem with COVID and the miner, the miners. So they kind of stopped production for a while, but they didn't need to produce because they had so much platinum. And since rhodium is only a small percentage of it, Basically, they've run out of rhodium and they have an excess of platinum on the market. And it's the rhodium that people are really after when they steal these catalytic converters. What other um, 
can we think of other metals that get mined together? The lanthanides all come together. The rare earth elements. Gold and silver come together, I think. I think they tend yeah. to. With mercury. I think it's part like periodic table kind of relationships, aren't there? I don't know. I think so. I, I'm not an inorganic chemist. We should we could have my friend Gordon Yee on and he would know. What this did, this mining, I wanted to finish. The, the rhodium price today for one troy ounce, which is 31 grams, is $27,000, which is just crazy. And there isn't a lot of rhodium in a catalytic converter, but they're getting $400 for each one on the black market. Yep. So I thought this line from the article was really important. Rhodium shortages were in excess of 150,000 ounces. The deficit was expected to grow until a substitute was found or if there was a major switch to electric vehicles, which don't require rhodium, which was exactly my thought. Another good reason to go to electric vehicles, lithium-ion batteries, right? Mm -hmm. Better lithium-ion batteries, more electric vehicles. And I guess that would be that would be a completely electric vehicle. You'd probably still need a rhodium converter if you had if you got a hybrid. Well, I have a hybrid, yeah. So, and I'm sure I because you're still burning some fossil fuel. So, so should we should we say what what the catalytic converter does for people just to kind of remind them? So it's actually pretty complicated. But the main thing is, I think you want to try to remove the nitrogen oxides and the sulfur oxides from the waste stream. And so this is from Wikipedia on catalytic converter construction. Rhodium is used as a reduction catalyst. So I imagine rhodium is important for for reducing NOx, something like that. But palladium is used as an oxidation catalyst and platinum is used for both reduction and oxidation. So if they have different phases of the catalytic converter that the waste stream has to go through to get it to do the different things they, I mean, part of it is they, they want to fully combust all the carbon. That's what I've always thought of it as your catalytic converter keeps you from dumping a bunch of partially combusted hydrocarbons into the, into the air is what I've just kind of generally assumed. And then, but there's also traces of nitrogen and sulfur. Yeah, probably has something to do with, mm -hmm. so they have to remove that somehow. I don't know, but then they say cerium, iron, manganese, and nickel are also used, although each has limitations. And nickel is not legal for use in the European Union because of its reaction with carbon monoxide into toxic nickel tetracarbonyl. And nickel tetracarbonyl is, was one of the first things ever on, oh, Derek, what's his name? The, the medicinal chemist who has a blog and he has a list of things I will not work with in the lab. Um, and nickel carbonyl is yeah. super toxic. It's really, really bad stuff. Yeah, I can see why they exclude that from the, in the European Union, which implies that we don't in the U.S. So great. And 
copper can be used everywhere except Japan. And I'd like to know what, what's going on with that, but I haven't looked into it any further. So that, you know, this is just like, this is what we gleaned out of the news. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the solution of this is electric cars. And just don't burn any more mm. fossil fuels. <laughs> we got to really stop that. I mean, because then it's causing us to have to, you know, mine all this platinum and rhodium and palladium and yeah, yeah, you know, recycling apparently is is pretty expensive. I also looked into that. There's there's a company that, but they only accept lots of 200 catalytic converters at a time because it's not worth it to them if they don't have a a big lot. I guess you probably have to heat stuff up really hot melt everything maybe and and separate i don't know i don't know how you separate metals especially ones that like to be with each other like rhodium platinum and palladium oh i didn't give the earth abundance rhodium is 0.001 milligrams per kilogram platinum is 0.005 and palladium is 0.015 which is you know high compared to What's gold? Just to give people an idea of how, how these stand compared to gold. Google says 0. 0.004 parts per million. Yep. 10 to the minus third. Four times 10 to the minus third. 0. 0.004. Wow. Google knows everything. It's kind of scary. I love it. So I, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I, I don't think that the rhodium story is related to the computer chips. I think the computer chips is some shortage in semiconductor production. It is. Yeah. 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 The rhodium shortage is different. Car manufacturers are just having a hard time. <laughs> well, and then they've all, I mean, there was a big story a few weeks ago about how they're, they're all planning to go to all electric vehicle fleets by what? 2035, like 15 years from now, which is good. Now all we have to do is make sure mm -hmm. we convert our electric grid to all renewables. Because if you're, if you're using electricity to charge up your car that was made at a coal burning power plant, there's still a lot of pollution, carbon dioxide, Mm. Sulfoxides, nitroxides, coal is not the solution. Uh, oh yeah, I was gonna. Do you want to say something about about the um, fracking? Oh yeah. So a recent a recent study came out. You can find this news uh, at alleghenyfront.org. Yeah, we'll um, Allegheny has a kind of interesting spelling. We'll put it in. Uh, a-L-L-E-G-H-A-N-Y, AlleghenyFront.org. And there was, a, there was a group from, I think, University of Missouri yeah. that studied something like 20 people in the summer, I think 2019. It was the countryside outside of Pittsburgh in southwest Pennsylvania, where there's a ton of fracking going on. And they just like found incredibly high levels, 95 percentile compared, was it 95 percentile compared to the U.S.? Yes. So they 
So their levels for com- compared to the U.S. median, yeah, their their levels for t- chemicals that tend to be used in fracking fluids, and these are things like toluene, styrene, ethyl benzene, and met- ethyl benzene. So metabolites of benzene compounds with a little bit of uh, of alkane on them. So these people's levels uh, for these compounds were within the top 5% of, uh, you know, Americans. So they were above 95% median levels. Yeah, they, they took urine samples. They measured drinking water samples. Summer of 2019, this group from University of Missouri, headed by Christina Marusik, uh, they took three urine samples from 20 people. Uh, and they, those urine samples, I forget how they were spaced out, but it was to kind of get a, a longer look at what the, you know, with fluctuation, what their levels of these chemicals were. And there's things like benzene, toluene, ethyl benzene, styrene, and then biomarkers for the metabolism of these compounds, things like mandelic acid and huric acid. Hippuric. Hippuric is an interesting uh, metabolite. It's found at high levels. I just stumbled on this. It's found at high levels in Crohn's disease patients, which is weird. So this was called huric acid, H-U-R-I-C. Oh, well, the other one they found was hippuric, H-I-P-P-U-I-R-C. So I'm actually looking at the um, original Environmental Health News article written by Christina Marusik. Um, it's part part one of our four part series, Fractured. So I'll definitely I'll definitely put a okay link to this in the show notes. Oh, it might have been hippuric. So what is is that the one that that was ninety one times as high as the U.S. average median. Yeah, in this poor kid, this one kid in the family, Gunner. Um, yeah. 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 Not huric. Hippuric. Okay. And so that is. Yeah, and hippuric is actually uh, an amide formed between the amino acid glycine, which is very common in our bodies, and benzoic acid. So it. It combines the benzoic acid and, and glycine to make an amide bond. But apparently that's a marker for, well, benzoic acid is not a natural thing. So it's it's related to the benzene toluene. It's actually probably made by oxidation of toluene in the body, in the liver. Yeah. Um, a lot of these aromatic hydrocarbons like benzene, toluene, naphthalene, they don't, they're so fat soluble that your body can't excrete them in the urine. And so what your liver does to try to detoxify these things and get them out of your body is to oxidize them, to make them more polar. And by making them more polar, it makes them more water soluble so that then they can be excreted in the urine. The unfortunate thing is that when you oxidize benzene, it actually turns it into uh, an epoxide, 
which is a three-membered ring containing oxygen. And that's a very reactive thing. And it, it mutates DNA. It's a carcinogen. That's why benzene is a carcinogen. It's not the benzene itself. It's the metabolite, the benzene oxide. I don't know how the hippuric acid, I don't know how, how benzoic acid would. Uh... I think it's from toluene. So you oxidize. Yeah, yeah, it's from toluene. You oxidize the methyl group. Toluene is like benzene, but it has a methyl group, one carbon, one CH3 group attached to the benzene ring. And then it in the body, that's the easiest place to oxidize. And so that would get oxidized up to benzyl alcohol and benzaldehyde and eventually to benzoic acid in three steps would be oxidized to benzoic acid. So once it turns into hippuric acid, I wonder if it, I wonder if that makes it water soluble enough to. Yeah, I think it. Excrete and. It must, but there's probably so much glycine around that it just reacts with glycine to make this hippuric acid, which I don't know why that's toxic. Yeah. Oh, it does say. Both are eliminated in the body and urine. So I guess it maybe maybe is not good for the kidneys. I don't know. I mean, on their way to getting excreted, they could be doing all kinds of wreaking havoc, right? Just the way drugs do good things on their way to being excreted, you know, these could do bad things. I mean, a lot of times the mechanisms of these toxins, it's not known how they work. So what I'd like to talk about is you, I have a wild idea about fracking chemicals. They're going to be fracking. I mean, President Joe Biden has said, we're not going to stop fracking, which is crazy. Um, but uh, so could you make things like benzene and toluene and ethyl benzene from lignin do you think or or i mean do you think polyphenolic compounds or phenolic compounds would serve the purpose because i don't you know it's hard to i know they use high pressure water in fracking why do they have to add all these chemicals anyway I don't know that either. I I wonder if they need something that is high enough boiling and very nonpolar. I mean, that's what we use toluene for, you know, in a synthesis. So why why would it? Yeah, but why would you need it to be nonpolar? I mean, it it seems like if it would be miscible with water, or at least partially miscible. So if you're trying to get what natural gas out of the ground, uh, you want to dissolve volatile, small organic molecules, small nonpolar, you know, what is natural gas, but like ethane. I thought they just forced it out. Okay. Let's look at let's propane. So, so is it about dissolving it in the fracking fluid? Uh, about what? I don't think so. Let's look at what what Wikipedia says about fracking. Okay. 
The main purposes of fracturing fluid are to extend fractures, add lubrication, change gel strength, and to carry propent. Propent? What's propent? Into the formation. There are two methods of transferring propent into the fluid, high rate and high viscosity. High viscosity fracturing tends to cause large dominant fractures, while high rate slick water fracturing causes small spread out micro fractures. Water soluble gelling agents such as guar gum increase viscosity and efficiently, okay, I gotta look up what propent is. Hydraulic fracturing propents, a solid material, typically sand, treated sand or man-made ceramic materials designed to keep an induced hydraulic fracture open during or following a fracturing treatment. It's, oh my God, this is complicated. Whoa. We might have to have a, another episode on fracking. I think so. I, you know, I don't, I wish there was somebody, this is horrible what this is doing to people. It's making them very sick. That article was. Yeah. So let's, let's do talk about some of, about the side effect or you know, yeah. the toxicity effects of the fracking fluids that they found. So these are all kind of substituted benzenes and benzene. Um, and so short-term exposure, irritation to skin, eyes, throat, you know, breathing, um, drowsiness, dizziness, so central nervous system sort of effects. And then chronic exposure can lead to infertility and more nervous system damage and liver and kidney damage. Where And that's because the liver and the kidney are where uh, where organic compounds are metabolized to the kidneys where they get turned into water soluble things and excreted and the liver is where they get oxidized because things which are non-polar organic compounds uh, are not going to be excreted in the water very well and then when you oxidize them you make them more polar you make them more water soluble mm. so not good yeah but then they also said that they can't conclusively prove where these chemicals are coming from because these are also byproduct chemicals of, of uh, you know, burning gasoline in cars and from cigarette smoke and from home VOCs. Right. And, and people in urban areas are exposed to higher levels, higher background levels than rural because of the cars. So we're all kind of getting exposed. Another good reason to go to all electric cars. <laughs> oh, one of my students, one of my students told me back to the rhodium thing that he knows of somebody who's trying to sweep up the dust off of roadways and recover the rhodium and platinum and palladium <laughs> from the dust on the highways. It's that valuable. I, I think I think it would be a good student project to do like a bioremediation, you know, some plant. There is a plant. Planted on the interstate. There is a plant that takes up high levels of palladium. Actually, different plants take up different levels of palladium in their roots. Not just palladium, but 
you can use, oh, what was that? I had a case study in my book about that. And they were using the, the plant roots. They were processing the plant roots and doing catalysis with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, I recently, I think I recently tweeted about a story where somebody was using the, the ground up roots for biocatalysis. Let's see. What, yeah. were, what plant was that? Oh, gosh. I thought it was in chapter. It's in degradation or recovery. So E. crassipes is the plant. And they get palladium two catalysts out of it. And then there's also a nickel catalyst from P. dua. Oh, I can't even pronounce it. Duacri I or something. D O U A C R R E I. I bet you you could get plants, you know, if you could get hold of these interesting plants, you could recover palladium and platinum off a roadway. <laughs> and nickel. They put nickel in there too. Cool. So here's one I, I just sent you. Um with a ryegrass species called Lolium perenne uh, in Europe. And it's a perennial ryegrass. And they used it to remediate a toxic soil that had cadmium, lead, and zinc in it. And then they used that. They grew up the ryegrass and then they ground it up. I guess they dehydrated it and ground it up and used it in a synthesis of maclobamide yeah cool yeah this french group i think this might be the same french group that published this stuff this kind of stuff before so nice oh and this is from green chemistry letters and reviews which is a journal that jamie's interested in that's very first author mary Heschelski. The corresponding author is Alina. So it's probably Guinée? In Lille, France. Université Lille. She has a whole bunch of affiliations. <laughs> yeah, Guinée. Very cool. But anyway, yeah, that's cool stuff. So I don't want to go on and on for too long. Um, we're, you know, this is, <laughs> we call it this week in sustainability because it's this week, whatever this week happens to be. We didn't call it every week in sustainability. <laughs> right. So Jamie and, Jamie and I have both gotten very busy and that's why you haven't been seeing too many of these coming out. I don't even know how long we've been talking at this point, but I think that's probably sufficient unless you have another topic you wanted to discuss we'll we'll hold off on the the wind turbines maybe okay yeah and the ppe bricks those would go well together because it's about recycling and we plan to have somebody come talk about recycling soon yes uh, about regulations that uh, surround whether or not you can use a material input for um, a recycled input for, for your cool. manufacturing. So that'll be cool. All right. So 
This has been This Week in Sustainability. And it's been nice talking with you, Felicia. Yeah. So we talked about, we talked about uh, a new blue pigment called Mass Blue. We talked about people stealing catalytic converters for the rhodium and how they really the only way to get away from catalytic converters is to use electric cars. And, oh, and then we talked about fracking for a bit. And that's, that's a good evening's work, I think. So I should... Uh, to be continued. Read from Elemental Haikus. And it might take me a minute to find it. I wish I knew my... I should have the periodic table memorized. This is something we did over over beers at the river mill one night was see who could reconstruct the most of the periodic table on the back of a bar napkin and Gordon Yee won by a long shot. <laughs> he knows his periodic table. I'm kind of jealous of those people. Well, you know, we can't all do everything. <laughs> I have nothing but admiration. So this is from, Elemental Haikus by Mary Soon Lee. Oh, oh, okay. Rhodium, battling pollution by transforming exhaust gas, catalyst for change. (laughs) Rhodium is a catalyst in three-way catalytic converters, which makes car emissions less harmful. And so they've got, she's even got a diagram can you see it? Mm-hmm. So it shows um, methane and I think that's supposed to be methane. I don't think HC4 is exactly correct. And uh, an NO, CO something, an NO coming into a ceramic honeycomb catalyst. And there's an intumescent mat, which I have no idea what that means. And a sh- they, there's the heat shield. Keep keep it from getting too hot and insulation and an insulation cover. <laughs> so the ceramic honeycomb catalyst has all those different metals in it. All right. So think about it. Don't think too hard. Don't think too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us and please like us on your wherever you get your podcasts from and you can go to our website at thisweekinsustainability.podbean.com if you want to see the show notes and get links to all these cool articles we've been talking about thanks for joining us good night 